It's Tuesday, November 29th. You're listening to the Tech Breakfast Podcast, the show that brings you delicious tech news and all the hot takes you can handle. It's episode 279. I'm doing the intro today because Mr. Aaron Bewley isn't feeling that well. Other than that, how's it going, fellas? So good. I'll be fine. Ah. I'll I'll be I'll be We're sorry you're Um, sick. Either I'll die or uh, I'll be better than I ever was. That's right. See, that's the champions club mentality right there. <laughs> I am uh I respect it for sure. But y- you are dealing with the flu, which uh is one of the worst things ever. Although, question, bad. what's worse? Flu or cancer? I think Bro. you can answer that. Mm-hmm. Questionable. I'm just saying. <laughs> just saying. Like do you, did you even guess that you had the flu? Like you had to go to a doctor somewhere for them to tell you you had cancer. So just saying, mm. but you're going to beat this one just like you beat the other one. And it's going to be all good. Dude, real talk. Um, the the, yeah. the flu will give you some, some uh, kind of crazy pains that will remind you of some of the pains from the tumors. Like when you get the body ache stuff. Really? Or, um, yeah. Or, the, terrible. or like when you go through chemo and you get treated. That's the dude. That's the like. That's one of the craziest things. Like the ripple effect of, uh, like almost. I don't want to say PTSD, but kind of PTSD. Whenever you get those kind of pains or feelings again, you feel like you're back uh, in it, and it just sucks. But dude, so anyway, first of somebody all, say something positive. Hold on, because I you know I have a broken right foot and left foot, and when I started getting my left foot to be broken. When I started feeling those same pains, I started feeling PTSD, knowing exactly what was coming. The fact that yeah. you've had cancer twice, beat it twice, and then to, to ever feel anything that is the same, uh, I think to say that you would have some PTSD is perfectly reasonable. Just my personal yeah. opinion. Yeah. Approved. Uh, you know, got to get your mind right. And you got to be like, no, no, I don't have it again. It's not... So anyway, we're doing a tech podcast now. Yeah. Wait a, your mind right. wait a second. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm moving a... past that because it's depressing and I don't want to talk Thank about you. it. I'm kidding. It's Please. not depressing because yeah. you're killing it. But uh I'm 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 confused. Um Beely was just talking about playing Modern Warfare 2, which I assume was yeah. like the Wii edition or something. Um what? the Wii but, edition? Yeah, I think yeah. it was Modern Warfare 3 was actually for the Wii. Um uh, I'm, why? I'm why? Go ahead. No, I mean, it's literally true. I believe there was a modern, modern warfare, warfare one, as well as uh, on the Wii yeah. for real. On the Wii, absolutely. Yeah, dude, it That's was legit. Terrible. Was it legit? Uh, but, I mean, it was me unique. Out. Go ahead. Me out here. Went to Walmart site just to just to look. Kind of curious what it costs. I I don't think I played any of the modern modern warfare games, but. Um, you can protect your purchase for a digital cross edition version of the game for eight dollars. <laughs> what? What does that yeah, even mean? Yeah, it, it covers uh, replacement for damage and repair <laughs> of a digital key. <laughs> what? <laughs> what? <laughs> Bro, what? Uh, of a license? Maybe, maybe maybe it's a maybe this is a disc. I don't know. At first, it's, I thought maybe it was like. I thought this might Maybe. be the cross edition bundle, which is usually like $10 because you buy it for PS4 and instead of buying it again for PS5, sort of uh, example, you get it for PC. You get the cross well. edition. Well, what? you don't actually. Um, no, speaking of dude, it's. It has this game on three platforms. 
it's not even like if you if you had a house fire and you lost your system or all of your systems it's attached <laughs> to your username in the cloud quote, right quote. like what right that's uh um, again that's why weird. i'm confused what are the cross editions though is it actually can you do PC yeah you can play and other Xbox. things with a single cross yeah, edition yeah. Okay. or do you have PS4. to buy yeah, so hold PS4, on. ps4 ps5 xbox PC. Okay. I know, but do they sell one you can play on all of them, or do you have to buy ones for specific consoles? <laughs> Russ is like, stop talking and I'll answer it for you. <laughs> y'all, y'all, y'all are ridiculous. This is, I love you guys. But this is a joke. Um, so the cross edition is for the vertical platform of choice. So let's uh, say you have generational a like Xbox, Xbox One, yeah, yeah, or a PS4, and then you buy an Xbox Series X or you buy a PS5, it will work across both of them. So that is what that is for. It doesn't work across PC. You would have to buy it on all three platforms. I can tell you as someone who has this on multiple platforms that you do have to do that. Uh, however, you can play with anyone from any platform. So there is cross compatibility for like ah, lobbying yeah. and party systems and, and things along those lines. So uh, that's that's the whole cross, crisscross. What makes it even more fun, I was telling my buddies about this the other day, you can actually play with almost any input type too. Like on PC, you can use a controller um, really from either, you know, it really from anyone to to map the game. I mean, it works directly with the Xbox controllers on Windows, but you can use controller, keyboard, and mouse. You can actually do that on Xbox Series X and PS5 as well. You can play with, uh, obviously, their controllers, or you can play with a keyboard and mouse on those platforms now, too, if you happen to be, you know, putting it on to a monitor, which you may want to do because these uh, platforms actually do support, like, variable refresh rates and... Uh, Call of Duty in particular has a 120 hertz mode that I'm able to use on my TV or on my monitors. So it actually brings a lot of the kind of downsides to consoles up if you wanted to use a different input method or play at a higher frame rate or whatever else whatever else it is, in addition to cross-platform support for playing you know, with your friends and stuff like that. So it's really all kind of converging into one area, which I think is great. Mm. <clears throat> mm. Yeah, That's cool. Anyways, today in tech history... We're moving on, <laughs> moving forward. But it's related, not to Call of Duty, but to video games and competitive ones at that one, super competitive. Um, the very first uh, super popular video game was uh, a tennis simulator called Pong. Ah, Pong. I think they actually referred to it as a tennis simulator. But November 29th, you guys tell me the year, Atari introduces their very first product. Pong, which would become the the world's first commercially successful video game. It's that's a very important distinction that it was the first commercially successful video game. It was not necessarily the first video game. I'm gonna go so, 76. 76. I think right. it was earlier. 70, yeah, I think it was earlier too. But I was nervous about going too much earlier. 72. 76 and 72. Uh, I hate to say it, Aaron, but maybe you just don't get as many reps at this, but you got dunked on. Tyler got it exactly right. <laughs> Slam! Dude, yeah. I thought that number too. I almost went early 70s and I was like, oh, <laughs> I'm nervous. I can't. Yeah. <laughs> okay. No, I get no practice at that. I always I, have you know, go right in front of me. That's right. I honestly that's right. think I would have gone high 70s as well. Honestly, with the expectation that it was just shy of the 80s when there was kind of a big you know arcade boom 
Yeah, and I kind exactly. of thought that led to it. So I, I just didn't think that happened in the early seventies. So I, I think I would have been along the same lines as you. GG style. Oh, see, I was, I was just, uh, yeah, rolling it back. I was trying to think, like, mm, I kind of, like, I remember having an Atari in the early eighties, and I knew it was still relevant, but it certainly wasn't new anymore. Uh, so I was stretching. Mm-hmm. Also, I'm curious if, like, the Ataris that people were buying at home, was was Atari producing? pong before like home consoles were a thing like were they doing arcade versions of that that's exactly right yeah so it was the first version of this was actually an arcade variant in fact there's a picture of the arcade shelf it really wasn't that's why i decided to go early 80s yeah Yeah. for the home console variant of what we think of i think for for a lot of people right right when you think atari you know you think the the console that you slid the cartridge into or at least i do initially but yep. they were making games well before that was a thing so check Dude, it. yeah it's crazy this? the ride video games has gone on for sure did you see this uh thing that darren just dropped in the chat about the guy no. who bought 300 iphones yeah on the <laughs> fifth avenue apple store and they got robbed immediately after got walking out robbed. what hilarious <laughs> I mean, it's not. Oh, it's man. sad for him, but 300 iPhones, real subtle. Uh, um, hold yeah. on, hold and, on, hold on. So hold two on. men. So and it's like two o'clock in the morning. Yeah, 1:45 a.m. Another car pulled up next to him. How? How is he? How can you shop at Fifth Avenue? Is it no. open 24/7? Anyway, two no. men jumped out and demanded that he hand over the bags, not wanting to hand over 300 iPhones. The victim put up a fight and was ultimately punched in the face before thieves made off with one of the bags. <laughs> One of the bags with 125 iPhones worth 95 grand. And police are saying uh, the man in question often made large iPhone purchases from this store in order to resell them through his small business. Really? What? Okay. Maybe that's Seems more like legitimate. There's got to be a better way to yes. buy 300 iPhones. Have them shipped to And going exactly. <laughs> that, that can't be your best option as a small business owner. It can't. I refuse. I mean, I... I wonder. I also, mean, how if, are you making money? If you look on, that. on Amazon. How far does the how far does the quantity drop down go? Can you get to three hundred? I don't. I don't know. <laughs> that doesn't I, make I, sense. Oh my! How are you? How are you, how are you making money at the beginning? How are you buying these uh, I, and then I, making I, money I, on them? I bet. I bet he's selling them to other countries that can't hmm. can't get them for you know because an iPhone here. Cost a thousand bucks somewhere else might make mm-hmm. might cost the equivalent of like three thousand oh, um, for sure. There. For sure. Take five every trip. Yep, pretty much. Okay, um, that's uh, that's a guess, was, but it just seems like the only way to yes. make money on it. I wanted to get y'all's take too. There was something else I dropped um, like a day before that bit that Darren just dropped in there, uh, but Ars Technica was reporting that Amazon Alexa is a quote colossal failure yeah. on pace. I'm paced to lose $10 billion this year. First of all, I saw that. that is surprising. $10 billion? That's yeah. a big loss. The, the number what do you think is going to happen? Blew me away. Sure. Um, I, it, that, I, I feel like it would be so interesting to see the data that backs that up, like really unpacking it, because I could see hardware loss leader uh, paying into that big time, right? Like they've got a lot of Alexa devices that are constantly in a state of deep, deeply discounted, right? Um, all of that probably gets attributed to to Alexa. And then, I, I mean, I'll give them this. I don't know where one makes up for 
all of those hardware losses by having a voice assistant. <laughs> I didn't realize there was that much of a hardware loss. I, yeah, the, the, I don't think like, they make very lot. much money, if anything, on the on the devices. They're, but but I think that this is even if they sell them half of what it costs, like the cogs to make it. Like, say it's a hundred bucks, and you're selling these things for fifty because the echoes are like creeping up in price. They were sure you know, like twenty nine and thirty nine, forty nine, whatever. Say it costs a hundred bucks to make it, which is still kind of high. You would have to sell so many of those to lose ten billion dollars. I guess you're well, also paying the people. Yeah, you're you're in the paying for the development teams. It. You're paying for the infrastructure but to store it, to run it, to to the data center, distribute to, it. I mean, there's a lot of costs that I could totally see attributable to it. I'm. But where do you think the biggest cost is? Like, it's got to be the data center to run the like Alexa interface or the like the 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 AI, right? Maybe, but if that's no, the case, I then know. I would think that that Google and Apple are facing nearly the same sort of lost levels except for they're not going to have the same dramatic losses in the hardware space i think i say that but my, that that's just coming from a gut google for example might be doing exactly the same things with their home devices but the number of home devices that are sold compared to the number of alexa devices that have been sold is probably orders of magnitude different like oh yeah for sure how many generations of alexas have you bought for ten dollars right yep <laughs> <clears throat> and so what I wonder here is, you know, I'm, I am I don't know what the Alexa business model was, but I always did sort of assume that it was a, a new way to interact with making purchases on Amazon. I always thought that that was kind of a major part of their play. That's and I do wonder. To. But why yeah, would you to do, do that. that? I was well, talking to my wife about this because she saw this article, too. And and it. it Amazon is not natively a platform where you can trust that you're going to go back and get the same deal that you found the Correct. first time. Even less so when you're doing it sight unseen through a voice assistant. If they yeah, can you're like Alexa, I want a jump up, rope. Like there's like fifty thousand jump rope options. I want yeah, exactly. I want this thing that I purchased before, and I'm willing to pay within two percent of the price I paid for it. I would probably use Alexa to order some things. But right. not like it, I'm not I'm not sitting there. I'm not being I'm not able to compare it to other sellers or the, the cost of goods. All, I have a limited amount of information, which is immediately like a, a turnoff to me when I'm trying to buy something. So I'm just going to go to an interface where I can see it and say, yeah, that's roughly what I paid last time yeah. or or, hey, at least it's in line with the, the amount that I paid previously or that I'm willing to pay for it. All you get from a voice thing is one option and, and a price. And that's just not enough to regularly use it to buy stuff for me. Sure. Well, and I don't disagree. And I think, you know, I don't, I don't know where all this money goes, but I do think that there has been a, I think there's been a fundamental shift or not shift or attempt for many, many years. I'm talking decades to try and invent and or own the next wave of how we interact with yeah. things. And I think that for many years, people thought, well, voice is that next thing. I mean, we even had, you know, movies in the 80s articulating using voice for doing things. And, and I, I use a recent example. Uh, I have Microsoft Teams on my phone. 
And I noticed that there's a pop-up in the last really just couple of weeks that has said, hey, use your voice to join meetings and to do whatever else. And I just don't know. And I, and I always like to use myself as an example because I'm a, you know, I mean, I'm an early adopter, fairly technically proficient, right? I mean, I, I always feel like if you're going to try something technically and it doesn't work with someone like me, then it's probably got a, a <laughs> Not gonna work on average. shot of, of working on average. Yeah. Exactly. And and I just don't like I use I use Alexa all the time, but not with my like Alexa devices. I use it on my Fire TV remote to find things. To me, finding things that you are then going to interact with with a more traditional method of remote or click or swipe or whatever it is, is a perfectly valid use case, maybe setting little reminders or timers. But I don't think it's the primary way that we're going to interact to actually make purchases outside of like, I mean, I've purchased a lot of Amazon videos and I search for them, you know, with my Alexa remote. But I just don't think that that's the primary way you'll do it for everything. I think there are niche use cases where voice is going to be a part of what you do, but not be that next thing. And that to me is probably where the overarching failure is. And they maybe are just now realizing that. And what I want to know is, to be completely honest, I only want to know, am I still going to be able to use Alexa to search on Fire TVs? Because it's a major reason why I use the platform. I mean, if it went away, I would switch... I would switch platforms if if it stopped working. I that's, really would. I that's one. Ten thousand people is also how you get to ten billion dollars in losses. True. <laughs> that's a lot. Yeah, that's a big that's team. That's true. <laughs> yeah, Holy crap! Does it surprise <laughs> anyone that the Alexa team had ten thousand people? Uh, I mean, not anymore because I seem to be reading a lot I'm, about that. But yes, yeah. that is an absurdly large that's team. That's very surprising. Anything to like me. that? Yeah, that's. that's I would. Wild. I would have thought. I would have thought maximum of thousand if you would have asked me, and yeah. I would I've just been rounding wow. way up. Like I would have been overshooting if I guessed a thousand personally in my mind. Like I, I would have had to have rounded up to get to that. So ten thousand seems insane, well, but it also means the scope of supporting it is probably way bigger than any of us. Sure, maybe no, or maybe they're going to try Elon's uh, scorched earth approach and just fire Dude. like 90 percent of everyone and see see how it functions and then hire no honestly maybe um it's <laughs> funny i mean if you think about where a lot of the elon's methodology comes from startups oftentimes over hire on purpose then put in yeah. very difficult plans and see who see who kind of you know comes up and gets their head above water and that's how you know, the, that's why it's so funny. You know, I work with a lot of, I wouldn't say early stage startups, but startups that have reached sort of minimum viable product status for the enterprise. And then I'll always have to answer this question of, oh my gosh, XYZ vendor is, they're laying off all of their sales team in XYZ region. It's like, no, you have to understand what they're doing. And it's a overhire, buy a lot of talent, see who the best one is, see what works, and then kind of move from there. And that's a, I mean, it happens all the time. That is not, in my opinion, what Amazon is doing. However, I do think it is largely what Elon is doing. So be interesting to see if that comes through. But is, is are all 10,000 from the Alexa group or is that Amazon? Yeah, that it just seems like an insane crazy. number. Yeah, it really does. Yeah. Wow, that's hey, wild. So I'm, I'm curious too, what y'all think about um, Elon's assertion that everybody in Twitter is related to a comment you made earlier. Um, sorry, my brain is having trouble right now. Making who the who made the comment, me or Tyler? You did, but it okay. made me, 
it made me want to ask you guys. So he recently made an assertion that everyone should be a coder, even leaders, right? Everyone should be contributing code, not just managing people that do within Twitter. Now, if you're a software company, do you think that that should hold true for more companies? Because there's a lot of companies like VMware that don't do that within the business unit side. I'm not talking Uh about salespeople or whatever. Oh, just on the view. Sure. Uh, I yeah. mean, I can um, see advantages and disadvantages to that. Um, no matter how you not just knowing it, how to code, but he was like committing. Yeah, code. actually contributing to it. I I think that oh. that's a that's a it's an interesting pursuit. I don't a I don't think it's realistic for every company to to hire every function and have every one of those functions be able to contribute code. Uh, it might Great. be realistic for Twitter and Elon but it is not realistic on average for every software company out there to have a BU staffed with people that can code, nor does it make a tremendous amount of sense. Uh, I agree. Um, It's in it. So I have a a buddy who he he works at his partner of uh, a very small VC firm in Dallas. And he's been doing this for a few years now. And I've gotten to learn a little bit more about that space. Candidly, it's just something that interests me. Uh, but I've learned even more, I think, by proxy, by exposure to the All In podcast, because you know those guys are all VCs at various stage venture funds. In fact, Kraft has been reaching out to me lately. Um, and I, one thing I wonder is, one thing I've noticed, and I even asked my buddy about this, because I think it was David Sachs or one of them on there, mentioned this idea that they had their VCs have a very or not. I'm sorry, not VCs, but startups, which are largely funded by VCs, have this very, very strong sort of feeling against what they call the professional managerial class. So these are the people who, after a company has gone from startup to usually you hit this unicorn status, which is the one billion dollars of valuation, you then start bringing in people who are there to sort of operate, run, and grow a company through management techniques. That's the management class. They're not the creators. They're not the the doers right. necessarily of creating net new things. And this is why founders of software companies will end up stepping down to another CEO. 100%. Absolutely. Very common. And, and what I feel, to me, what that feels like, what, El- what the Elon thing feels like, taking back to the analogy of, I believe this is his founder startup you know, type of mentality that he likes to take, which is sort of everyone contributes towards this shared vision and they can, and they, you know, everyone's kind of doing a lot of, a lot of different things, a lot of the same things and doing it that way. That's very startup minded mentality. And I think that's where it's coming from. And I have a feeling it kind of comes from that VC backed mentality of, you know, kind of fighting a little bit against the managerial class, but there's also this belief that with economic downturn coming, that really the managerial class of people, the people who don't necessarily do the creating, could face a little bit of a shift of their value. And that could be a part of what he's doing, is he's trying to optimize. What he's trying to do is optimize the people who create and or do, and then have them do what he believes to be lower value management functions. I don't actually agree with the assertion, uh, even as a former developer myself and someone who, you know, works directly in customer consulting. So I'm, I help people build things, 
But I actually think there's a lot of merit to the operational side of running an efficient business. So you got to have both. I don't think it can be this dual role thing. So I, I'll say I fundamentally disagree with an all-in approach to everyone having to do that. I not yeah. only think it's unrealistic, I just don't think that it's that valuable. So, right. And, and that's kind of what we're starting to get at. It's like, even, even if you, I'm, there's, I'm, I'm struggling to get the exact, I guess, phrasing or, or memory of what I'm trying to spit out. But basically there, there's, there's gotta be a balance struck unless you're an absolutely tiny team, but gosh, even in those situations between um, like hyper specification and, gross generalization and i feel like even for a software company you run the risk of slanting heavily towards generalized knowledge if everyone has to be able to code and that, that sounds a little counter but if if you're hiring managers that are developers for non-developer functions non-engineering functions is that a skill set that they should have been focused on and is it bringing valuable to that part of the business? The answer may be yes. I mean, I, I don't know. I don't know enough about how Stritter, Twitter is structured or how their teams are built. But I can yep. imagine functions, even within a software company, a la VMware, like you were bringing up, Aaron, that knowing how to literally code something, while interesting and potentially tangentially valuable, isn't really going to move the needle in your day job. So it isn't. You're better off finding someone who is a just a killer product manager, whether they know how to code or not, and put them in that role to lead those teams even, than you are finding somebody that knows a little bit about coding but sacrificing grade A. I just I'm I'm missing something in the way I'm saying that, but my point I think still stands, which is yeah, you're 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 always giving something up to focus so maniacally on something like must be able to contribute code. Yeah. I think you can achieve levels of efficiency and productivity much higher than what you would get out of, I'll just say the Elon model, which look, it's who am I to say this against the guy who's been undeniably successful. I don't care. <laughs> right, right. Jewel mind. And he had money. The guy has done some incredible things, you know, like just, it, it just is what it is, but I'll, I'll give my take. And that is, you know, we have this program myself and one of my, one of my peers in the organization, a guy named Corey Peters. We were, we were going through kind of this idea for our top gun program, which is our program that we run once a year for top sales and technical people inside of our organization. And they get exposure to a whole bunch of different things. They go on, you know, kind of these events as a team. And it's, it's a lot of extra enablement. It's a lot of extra work they're kind of capping the uh, the event next week. And for the first half of a day, they are actually going to fork a repo on GitHub and deploy it. Now, this is a group of people outside of maybe a few of the technical engineers, but most of even those people who, who don't you know do code for a living, it's more infrastructure pieces. They don't have this exposure and we're giving them the exposure. We're actually making them go through like requests and approvals through security and stuff in this, you know, kind of fun mock scenario where we are physically changing hands of paper for these requests and having people deny them to get some experience and appreciation for what customers and developers go through and kind of what it's like. And I think that that type of experience is valuable. And I think that you can do that 
in you know programmatic ways to get that experience for people who have more specialized jobs. Like I'll use project manager as an example that Tyler did. And that way, the project manager who's really good at working through, you know, whatever, it, you know, the Six Sigma protocols or PMP or whatever it is for any given mm-hmm. project. But now they have an appreciation as well for the ins and outs of the people who are delivering said project. And I think that that is something that's hugely valuable. I don't believe you have to be an actual day in, day out professional, though, to be able to gain that appreciation. I think you just find another way to deliver it. Mm. Nice. Great answer. It's an answer. I don't know if it's right. <laughs> it always feels weird questioning someone who's just <laughs> clearly done incredible things in their life. But, um, right. you know, it is what it is. Not every people get it wrong. It, it happens from time to time. Uh, speaking of Twitter, did you guys see that Twitter is no longer enforcing its COVID misinformation policy? I, I thought that was a. Uh, an, yeah, it's an interesting. I, I enjoyed all here. the jokes around it um, because I didn't enjoy the fact that I immediately started joking that that they weren't enforcing <laughs> any of their policies anymore. Sure. Um, I don't know. I you getting banned. banned was pretty funny. Yeah, it's it was kind of funny. But what, that it. didn't. Well, that didn't piss me <laughs> off. What pissed me off was well, not really pissed me off. Like whatever, but it was interesting for that to happen. And then probably a week later, Ryan Reynolds made the exact same joke. Never got taken down. The exact yeah. same joke. Like, did he have a blue check? Word. He did. <laughs> well, that makes perfect sense then. Yeah. So he was paying eight dollars a month <laughs> to avoid getting taken down. I get it. Um, it it yeah. is. I mean, I it made me think of that uh, just as an interesting piece. I, I don't know. I know that we've talked about some of these types of topics before in the past, but I don't know at what depth it does make. Cause I know that he, you know, hasn't, he hadn't disbanded the uh, moderation policies or teams. As far as I know, recently, even he came out and said so pretty early on, like for instance, whenever all these people with the blue check marks were going in and doing all these, you know, things. And everyone's like, look what happens when there's no rules. And then the Elon Kimmy is like, there's still rules. And that team is still in place to do it. I've changed nothing. I've been here for 45 minutes. And so it was just this bad behavior by individuals. What I'm wondering is that team's still in place in some respects. At least it sounds like they've clearly chosen to, you know, not enforce this policy anymore. Is it because it matters so much less now? Or do you think that? Yeah, I would say so. How do you feel about controlling misinformation? You know, assuming that we can even validate what is misinformation, what isn't on a platform like Twitter. That's a slippery slope, man. I'm I just don't know. I mean, I don't know the answer to the question because yeah. part of me, part of me, doesn't want who you calls know, it people who says it's misinformation. I don't know. You tell me. So, I, maybe Tyler. Man, does. I look. I'm I'm okay. I'm okay with it to some extent, right? Because there there are actually verifiable, you know, unquestionable truths do exist in certain cases. I'm not sure, saying that that's right. universally true, and I would never want to be part of a team that was in charge of figuring out which ones are and which ones aren't. Like, like that does not sound fun to me. I, I think it is a noble pursuit to try and control, you know, what is effectively hot garbage. But, but I can't. The slippery slope argument, I, I appreciate, and and I think I stand on that one quite often when it comes to let's start here and see what happens. Right? It's not, it's not always a safe place to to start. Yeah, how far but, do you take the slider? But but I think you can start somewhere, and if you need to slide it back, that's but, okay. Isn't too. it? And that could be Tyler, something. 
isn't it entertaining to watch the flat earthers scream into the trash can that is Twitter? Y- yes about and the flat no. Earth? Like it's hilarious. Yes. Yeah. But now but you want to silence them. You have to separate yourself from like, someone who can't tell the difference between them getting angry and yelling at the moon. I would keep them off knowing the that then. the earth is or isn't. Okay, but you no, realize that <laughs> it's got to be for things that matter, though. Like it doesn't matter if people think the earth is flat. <laughs> It yeah, just it's doesn't. Ar- but it's mis- true. misinformation, though. It's misinformation. Right. So you, okay, <laughs> and I think it's okay. Whatever. They get marked. I'm not sure. I I would actually prefer to see the response of a platform to be label people in such a way that just says consistently spouting stuff that is verifiably untrue. Or sure. <laughs> regularly stating I, things that are verifiably <laughs> untrue and not redacting those things. What whatever your context needs to be, leave them on the internet. Just but tag them a, as a troll. Put a banner there that <laughs> just says like a, nonsense, <laughs> right? And, nonsense. and like troll. the Ken M's yeah. of the world will still get all the laughs. But sure. somebody who is literally trying to scream at you to convince you the earth is flat will be laughed out of the room, which is fine. Yeah. But but ignoring it and trusting that the average person is going to understand or know enough about how to go find first sources to not just see the statement, assume it's right, and then go make life decisions that potentially negatively impact other people is a really bad place to start attempting to fix this, right? Yeah. Like, it, I just, I, I stand on the we're side of like really bad at this. Like, how much do we? <laughs> How much do we have to like help everyone understand everything? Hey, I'm all for that. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. I, like if you, I if like you get sucked into being a flat earther it. because you read about it on the internet and now you believe it and your name is Kyrie but, Irving or whatever, then fine. It's just funny. <laughs> and maybe that's okay for flat earth, but that goes back to what Russ said because there's no harm in it. Sure. You being a moron publicly does not necessarily harm me. <laughs> But right. you being a moron publicly and then taking down cell towers because you think they're giving you cancer, also yeah. verifiably yeah. untrue, sure. does affect me, and I don't like it. Hundred <laughs> percent yeah. on that one. That one I just <laughs> I can't get wrap my brain around. It's like, do you understand how spectrums work, you psychotic? No, no, they don't, <laughs> and they never will. <laughs> But oh do you my think, god do you think so for somebody that thinks that though do you think that they're going to believe the you know the rulers of whatever platform that they're on no because of this conspiracy theory in their mind do you think that's going to even change what they think no no i don't necessarily think it's going to change what some of those people think but i think if you get marked and it's just saying like very questionable this this person has very questionable. Oh sure, uh, yeah. Very questionable Sorry, I was trying to tease to out the fact from fiction. Look, you're going to yeah, have the, some tale, and look, yeah. even even on today's platforms with whatever content moderation they're doing, you're going to have a tale of this spectrum that is derpy enough to continue going down that path. So I think we all know those people, right? Like, they they can't help but scream whatever message they have just glammed onto, even if it is completely 100% verifiably false or there's a mountain of evidence that does not support their position. Those people, I think the difference is is that on the surface, those people have the exact same credibility on a social media platform that's semi-autonomous as someone who is literally an expert in the field. 
Yeah. And that's a problem because people well, that's weigh why them people are upset with Elon because sure. he's he's leveling that playing field. Which I don't think that that's good for us though. I don't think mm. that the human race as a species uh, is is I do I do not think it helps to advance our cause to put Tyler Russ and Aaron's opinions on par with literal subject matter experts in astrophysics or engineering or you know whatever field we're whoa, talking about whoa, whoa, that whoa. doesn't happen to be whoa. our SME. But it, like you don't we're okay, not supposed sorry. to be on equal footing. <laughs> Let me yeah. Okay. Sorry. You said you just said both y'all's names at the same time. Um this is a crazy <laughs> tangent. We'll come right back to whatever it is you're gonna say, Russ. But I was taking my daughters as a good responsible parent of you know, as somebody who grew up in the eighties and nineties. Uh, the last three Fridays, we watched Mighty Ducks and then D2 and D3. In D2, we meet Keenan Thompson, um, who his name is Russ Tyler. Did you yeah. remember that? Yeah. <laughs> his yeah. name is Russ Tyler. Anyway. Did not yeah. And his that. life is based off of us, even though he's older than we are. It makes that sense. A fact. <laughs> that makes doesn't. Um, <laughs> that's awesome. He, that dude also doesn't age, by the way. Um, yeah. <laughs> just Insane. trick. It's wild. I actually had SNL on the other night, and I couldn't believe what I was looking at. I was like, "Dude, you, I, you're taking not only you know you still on the show." No, no idea. Forty-five, forty-four. Yeah, forty-four. Ooh, ooh, yeah. I was close. Yeah, um, still passed for in his twenties, early thirties. Wow. I mean, dude's right. killing it, and he's and he's hilarious. So I'm yeah. gonna I'm gonna give him that. I like the Game Changers show as well. But what I was gonna he say to be is in the Hall of Fame of whatever that is. Okay, go ahead. Think, let's go back. I think when you when you come to this idea of like the 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 people spreading the information, the action against them, there's two thoughts I have. One, I we do need to listen to the experts. We, however, also ha people have to be able to be independent, critical thinkers who can discern yes. good from bad science, yes. and you that is hope. the responsibility of them. And leverage the experts to to get the data to make some decisions. That's that's the personal responsibility side of it, where we leverage the experts, but we don't devolve away from like our own opinions mattering, and that we can't make sure. decisions for. Us. Because I think that helps us make better decisions too. Like you don't, you don't want to blindly follow anything just because you don't understand it either. That's where, like you said, personal responsibility and being able to actually, you know, make discerning decisions. Like <laughs> these are, these are fundamentally good skills to have and, and not just trusting in something is a good thing, but there's a right. limit. <laughs> there is a limit. And here's where the, here's where the other side of this goes. What I think would be where the, where the middle ground of this is, I don't actually think, other than maybe, I like the idea of labeling people as trolls. That's fun for me. That's um, the funniest I, uh, idea that I've. I don't think of. people need to be like removed from the platform. No, like, no, I don't think no, no. Action needs to be no, just against here's your badge. The community has voted you as a troll. No, yeah, stay yeah. Under your and, yeah. And, it, yeah. <laughs> and and if you if you're an a hole on the internet, people will put you in a corner, and and you don't have to literally deplatform them to put them in a corner. You you can right. you it, can do both at the same time or. Sorry, that's the wrong way to say that. You can lead them on a platform and put them in a corner. But that's just how society works. Like we we put people in corners all the time. Pre-cancel sure. culture, if if people were jackasses, we would box them out. And that's okay. Reddit is <laughs> is a good social media platform example of like how you can sort yes. of handle this, you know, because the voting system works that way. But the thing right. that I think is valuable is to help some people with, you know, the claims in this article are unverified or whatever it is. The yes. question is, yeah, how yeah. Do you get, like, I think that labeling the articles as 
possible misinformation based off of whatever, or if it's verified, well, just like, unverified. Hey, just I like that. Just so we're clear, like this, just you know, this is, this thing isn't true. Just so we're clear, um, like if we if that's in here's the trick though is like how do you verify it? Who's the fact well, checker? Blah 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 blah. But, but this I think is one that of those it's where not action against the person; it's action against the article necessarily. I think it's is both. Where I think, I think it's value. both. And I think this is where this is where we might actually be on to something. Like you earned demerits. If, if you go back, if you absolutely for sure. for just absolutely. for just it, like like that. if you if you consistently parrot bad sources of information, which at some point we should be able to say, oh yeah, they're consistently bad at producing good information, or sure. they're never producing first sources, things like that, which is which is verifiable and to some extent should be automated. Like, is this actually an original source, or is it like links of links of links just parroting the same stuff? Like th that would be a valuable piece of information. This is an unverified statement from a secondary or tertiary or whatever source, and you should be able to do that algorithmically, that little piece right there. And then if someone consistently spouts stuff from unverifiable or unverified or just tertiary quaternary sources, then they should just be marked as someone who is an unreliable sharer of information. We're not calling you a liar. We're not saying that you are spreading misinformation, quote unquote, unless we know factually at some point that we have actually collected enough evidence to say this is verifiably false and they continue to stand on that ground, troll or whatever, right? Like, I don't, yeah. I don't care what the, what the name is, but those things aren't unattainable. Like, hey, no, share an article, not, I mean, not a first source, share an article, what you're just links of links. You're Click describing a reputation system. Yes. Um, and, and it's funny we establish reputation systems inherently in society. Yeah. I'll give you a yes. digital example. You know, we have, you know, we have all those absurdly priced skins that Tyler will never buy in Counter-Strike. Well, one <laughs> area of the internet that exists is trading those skins. And there is definitely a reputation-based system for Can people who for are real good and bad like, traders. Like our trappers um, coming well, back? If I'm well, you can like trade them for useful skins, which are only digital, non non digital, or oh. not useful. Uh, that but anyways, it, it might. You don't know the. Uh, you don't have make your point, and then I have a joke about it. My my point is is that in a system that is completely anonymous online, as far as like you you, you know in the gaming system. It's it's more anonymous than Twitter typically is because in Twitter a, a significant number of people oh use gosh, their real yeah. names. On on trading websites for Counter Strike skins, you you don't. And and so early <laughs> on there was a lot of really bad reputation, like people who were scamming people, and they got exposed for that. Right. And then you ended up developing these Verifiable systems of like, hey, harm. If this is a good trader. Yeah, people will put like you'll see even on my profile it'll say plus rep good trader and it's literally a comment on my profile that people end up putting whenever you you go through XYZ trade. In fact, there's some people who just randomly go on there and will put it on my profile who've never traded with me and I just delete them because they're trying to get me to trade with them by preemptively saying that and it's like though I don't trust those people. And so it's just an interesting it's an interesting thing that we in other areas of society build these systems in ourselves but in something yeah. like this that actually has a leadership group to do so <laughs> can't come up with it. 
Well, and, and so I think you touched on something there that I, I think, you know, we've we've talked about, we skirt around a little bit. I think this topic gets brought up a lot, but this idea of anonymity and your right to anonymity on the internet, I think on average, that's okay. Anonymity does provide some avenues to doing things you couldn't do otherwise. And I'm not talking about good or bad. I'm just saying it's okay. Maybe it gives underrepresented groups a voice that they wouldn't have sure. otherwise. That's not a bad thing, right? But on platforms like Facebook and Twitter, and Facebook's actually a, a decent example because arguably it's one of the least anonymous or should be one of the least anonymous platforms, right? Sure. Um, nature. When you, you gain something in what you're talking about, having a, a, uh, a referential system of trust, right? By removing some, if not all, of the anonymity. And ironically, I think part of the original Twitter blue checkmark intent was to remove the anonymity. We know who you are, and we being the you know, royal we, know who you are. You are a human, or you are an entity, or you are a representative of something, right? And, and it's verifiably who you are, right? But sure. obviously... Twitter lost its way on the blue checkmark thing. I, I imagine it will come back at some point in whatever form or fashion. But, but I think I think part yeah, of one of the biggest problems that mean things. One of the biggest problems, yeah, exactly. One of the biggest problems no, it with is. platforms like Twitter is that yeah. you can be a real, by a verifiable person, but it's not really designed to give you any sort of trust measure that is referential. Or, or maybe that's not the right way to say it. Referential. It, there's no way for me to pass on my trust of you on Twitter, right? Shy of well, I think that's following you, but the, that's not really valuable. Well, okay. So what do you think of the that idea with the check mark? They're going to do different colors. Like government will be a silver color. Um, corporation will be an orange color. Uh, you know, a, a, an athlete will be green color or whatever it is. You know what I mean? I think it's I like an okay that. and it's a step in the right direction. Yeah, I, I don't yeah, see any downside to the, they verify like, being able yeah, to who you are, what your business is. an account and say, yeah. you, you are actually selling something. You get an orange check mark. You are right. actually a government official. You get a gray check mark. Like, this is, this is great. This is at a glance yeah. information. This is like an and on system for just. Yeah. For at least verifying that they who who they say they're that only solves and one then they problem. quote average person that gets verified would just be like a blue check mark or whatever you know what I mean sure but that still only solves one problem which is are you who you say you no it solves are. all I mean, the problems in the world Tyler <laughs> <laughs> um, I like it and it seems like a really easy one well I say that it, yeah. there's a mountain of work that goes into verifying those things yeah. um, and I won't I won't you know, disparage the effort that has to go into that. And obviously they're trying to find yeah. an easy way with hundreds of millions of users. That's well, not a problem, could... but it's not, not impossible. Yeah. And I wish I could remember who suggested it. You probably go back and search Twitter, but somebody actually suggested it just tagged Elon and he thought about that's it cool. a little bit. He was like, yeah, let's try that. seems good. Yeah, but this yeah, is a I joke I was seems... trying to make before we get too far away from it. So <laughs> yeah. I don't know how many times I'd love to see the percentage of times that Russ brings up in-game skins on the podcast. <laughs> and I think you make a game out of this. Have you ever heard of the Kevin Bacon game? Yes. The six uh, degrees not. of Kevin Bacon. Six degrees of Bacon's Kevin Bacon. Law. Oh, I, you yes. know what? Has I a bunch actually of have names. heard. I've heard the phrase. I, I've never, I didn't know it was a game. The concept is you can name any actor or actress and then within six jumps, six degrees, you can get to Kevin Bacon. Whether it was, you know, this this actor or actress performed in a movie with this person or whatever, right. and then you can make the jump and get to him. 
I believe you can make a statement about any topic and within six degrees you can get to in-game skins with us. <laughs> I, I, I can get behind uh, that. I, hope, I do. I, I think it's, that's a law. <laughs> I, I, I hope that is true because if it is, I think it proves that like the digital to real conversion is doable. And so I think that uh, I think it's important. I think I'm solving problems for the world here. Y'all just I'll be better appreciated after well, I'm gone. You you and Mark Zuckerberg <laughs> fully are the same person. So uh, that's funny. <laughs> oh man. Okay, I have one more topic. We're, we're really running long again, but. Uh, and I did receive feedback that our last show was great, but long. Um, and I also heard great to have Tyler back, by the way. Hey, yeah. uh, one more topic I want to bring up also related to this. I'll try not to bring up skins, but I can't promise anything. <laughs> I do think it's fascinating on two different fronts, though. Um, Microsoft offers. So first of all, Microsoft is in talks to acquire Activision Blizzard. They have commitments what? to it. It's actually planned to happen. I don't know if you yeah, guys know that. I think we talked about Hold it. Hold on. Weren't they just acquired? Or they acquired something? This is somebody. that. I think it's the same conversation. It's the same conversation. Yeah, Microsoft it's been going on for a while. Oh, Ever since okay. they had a really bad day on the stock market for a lot of different bad reasons of behavior and Activision, yes, yes, Microsoft yes, yes, was yes, like, that's what it hey, was. we'll, no, we'll buy my, you at a discount. My brain was telling me that Activision Blizzard acquired somebody huge, which is why we're still referring to them as that. And now Microsoft is is taking them. But well, we're referring yeah, to them as Activision Blizzard because of the merger of Activision. Of and Activision Blizzard. and Blizzard, yes. Yeah. yeah. Which I think was which a big been, thing. 68 It was. Uh no, 68 billion is the is the Microsoft That's the new one. one. That's That's the new one. Yeah. yeah. All right. Sorry, go ahead. So which, so here's here's where this gets interesting. Huge. Um, it's more one, than they're they're about to they're about to challenge this. Like Microsoft's about to have to defend this um, this acquisition on multiple fronts. But one of the major reasons is is because of the game that I'm playing right now as we do this podcast, and that is because <laughs> of Call of Duty. So Activision owns, publishes Call of Duty, develops all of it, and it's the biggest game in the world every year um they sold you know well over a billion dollars in like the first weekend uh you know and they do this every year it has you know 600 people to work on it yada 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 it's a multi-platform game i mean playstation xbox windows etc and sony is pushing real hard to block this because they don't want to lose call of duty and you really i mean you just People have been trying for years. EA's tried. Hell, Microsoft's tried. I mean, everyone's tried to make the Call of Duty killer. The thing doesn't exist, all right? It's just, it's like all those startup, you know, football leagues that try and do spring football and then they die because they're not the NFL. Yeah. I've never been a COD guy, but it is so good. They've done a good job, for sure. And Outside of all the crashes, but... Well, yeah, that actually is super frustrating. But that's yeah. the crux here, right? So what Microsoft is sort of preemptively doing before they really, you know, I think the SEC comes in and starts pushing on them. Um, they, they're they offering a deal with Sony effectively to guarantee 10 years of Call of Duty on the Sony platform. Shoot, wow. This is an interesting conversation, and I want to hear your thoughts on what you think from a deal perspective on that. But I want to add this, you know, to take this even further, which was kind of brought Would up. That in make the it TV single platform. Thread. 
No, it wouldn't okay. be only Sony. It's just guaranteeing that it is on that platform. You know, gotcha. basically okay. supported the same way it's been supported for the last 20 years. Gotcha. And what's interesting is one, the idea of the terms of the deal for sure. Like, I think that's an interesting piece. I could also argue that that's just one of the ways that they'll try and recoup significant amounts of costs related to the acquisition itself. But uh, hmm. that's neither here nor there. But that's one. The other one is Microsoft. I think this whole thing stems from sort of the problem with some of these acquisitions by major companies. And that is what was brought up in the TBP thread around I think Elon made a comment about the app stores or something, whatever else. Mm. I, I don't care. <laughs> yes. Really and Tim Cook said your feedback is appreciated. Now pay 30%. But that was a joke. Honestly, that, that was a championship move. It, it absolutely was, was. That was so good. Um, so bra bravo <laughs> to Tim. I didn't know Tim was that he funny. He actually said it. Honest. I don't think he said um, that. Well, you know what? I'm taking it. He should have said that. Yeah. If he it's, didn't say it, then I'm disappointed in him. Right. But the... Uh, the thing here is, here's my struggle, the bundling. So whenever these massive players like Microsoft come in and buy a startup or they buy a, a company like Activision, one of the major business plans for Microsoft in gaming is all first-party titles are included with Game Pass from day one. So they would be acquiring and then bundling the biggest platform in the world or biggest title in the world for free and it's a yearly title something that you effectively pay a 60 to 100 dollar you know per year sort of subscription to and that's a huge deal they would effectively be doing the same thing that they've done with things like startups like the bundling of teams to you know make slack devalue or whatever it is they'll be doing this for gaming so how do we feel about their plan, right, to do the 10 years of Call of Duty guaranteed on the platform and the idea that, you know, these guys just keep buying and bundling these things inside of these other, uh, you know, whatever, other product suites and effectively killing competition in that way because what they have is good enough. I don't know that better products can necessarily win in that world. At least I fear they can't. Mm -hmm. I would hope they can. But I'm a COD fan, and so I like the fact that it's got staying power now, or more staying power. <laughs> it's got staying power for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And then I don't remember the rest of the question because I'm still flu brainy. Well, the question I'm asking is, is like, for instance, I, I believe Slack is a better product than Microsoft Teams. And I also believe that Microsoft Misinformation. Teams effectively forced Slack to sell itself. It's true. It's true. They just did because they bundled it. And this yeah. is something that is becoming problematic, especially for startups in general, to where a startup has an idea of major, major platform like Microsoft who already has an entrenched customer base says, hey, um, we're going to buy a similar competitor or maybe we're just going to build something that's 60% uh, as good, 70% as good. Yeah, And then we're going we to, we're not going to give it away for free. We're not giving yeah. it away for free. We're bundling it. And so yeah, we don't have time to talk through all this that's though. Do we? A problem. Yeah. We can loop that all the way back around to Alexa, right? Because then you've got, you've got Apple <laughs> and Android pre, pre bundling. Yeah. Pre bundling voice assistant. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but even still Alexa has uh, almost as many users. 
is each of those Google Assistant. And yet they're one, shuttering though. the team. I know. I'm it's crazy. All right. Did we lose Tyler? We need to shut the show down. Tyler, get in here. Shut the show down. Oh, uh, I have one quick recommendation. One quick recommendation before if anyone is still listening. Okay. Um, if you like listening to other podcasts outside of this uh, number one <clears> tech <throat> podcast right here, go check out um, Lex Friedman just had Chris Tarbell on his number 340 episode on November 22nd. He's the FBI agent who took down Silk Road. I think you find oh, it very cool. interesting. Yeah, it's very Whoa. interesting. Yep. Yeah, that'll be neat. Yeah, I'm in. It's a good conversation. Cool. All right, go ahead. Yeah, I bet. I need to. I, I need to listen to more Lex podcasts. I'm pretty bad about listening to podcasts. Yeah, he's great. They're, they're very great. Yeah, the irony is not lost on me. Yeah, but, they're anywhere from two to seven hours. Yeah, it, they're long, so, and I, I have trouble committing to even shorter podcasts. So, yeah, there's uh, you know, there's that. But speaking of podcasts. <laughs> That brings another tech breakfast to a close. Thanks for joining us, y'all. We appreciate you. Glad to be here. We're glad you're here, too. Thanks for listening. Thanks for sharing. Thanks for supporting us by giving us your ears. And we'll talk to you soon. Bye. Later. Peace. Peace.